Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to the Deep Dive Podcast. My name is Victor Nieves, and today we've got quite the topic. As you can tell by the title of this podcast, we're going to be talking about term limits. And let me just tell you, we're going to have a real in-depth conversation. I'm going to give you, by the end of this podcast, my thoughts on, on whether or not I support term limits. Now, there may be some of you who right off the bat from the very beginning are a little surprised that I'm not coming out from the beginning and singing the praises of term limits. And listen, I don't want anyone to misinterpret anything here. Don't don't take me wrong. By no means is this podcast going to be me ripping into term limits. At the end of the day, truth be told, I really don't have much of an issue with term limits whatsoever. But we're going to have a conversation about the pros, the cons, and really we're going to address this question. Are term limits really the solution or are they band-aids on a bullet hole? Well, let's dive into it. So I'm sure just as I have, I'm sure that you have heard many times people advocate for term limits and there's kind of this uh, this presentation, I guess, of the subject of term limits, like that's going to be the solution. We hear all the time that these members of Congress have been there for far too long. And I totally, totally agree. You look at some of the people like Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, they're dinosaurs. They've literally served in Congress for longer than I've been alive. I'm 23. There are plenty of members of Congress that have been there longer than me. And you've got some of these same dinosaurs that are up there making legislation right now that is going to affect generations of Americans But at the end of the day, the great irony of it is the people who are currently passing those laws will not live to see the consequences. For example, if we just look at our our budget, we look at our fiscal policy, if you've got people in Congress right now who are 85 years old, and listen, just really quick tangent here, if we happen to have 85-year-old listeners, I love you, I respect you, I'm not just dogging on you because you're 85, but these members of Congress who are 85 they literally will not live to see the economic ramifications of their actions. If they, oh, I don't know, hypothetically, put the United States somewhere in the neck of the woods of $30 trillion, with a T, $30 trillion into debt, I mean, really, is an 85-year-old member of Congress going to live to see the, the consequences of that? No, of course not. Their grandkids are going to see it. Their great-grandkids are going to maybe start to pay it off, right? These are things that are going to impact people for, for generations after some of these older folks who are currently in Congress after they've already been long gone. And listen, I think we can all agree that it's time for there to be some young blood. There's there's time for there to be a little turnover, some new faces, right? So these are the arguments that you hear made on behalf of term limits. And, and obviously, we understand that there's no way that term limits are ever going to be passed by Congress. It's just at least not this Congress. It seems completely impossible that we would have, uh, you know, members of the Senate, members of the House on a uh, decide to pass a law or a constitutional amendment or whatever it may be to limit themselves, right? They're never going to intentionally kick themselves out of Congress. That would be ridiculous, right? We all, we all know at the end of the day, these people, many of them are some seriously power-hungry individuals. So they're not going to do that. So if, if we're going to do term limits, it's going to be a process by the people, which would require an Article 5 Convention of the States. And if you're real quick self-plug here, 
If you're interested in learning more about an Article 5 Convention of the States, we did an entire deep dive podcast covering everything that you could possibly need to know regarding an Article 5 Convention of the States. But to make a long story short, that's the way that the people, the states can pass a constitutional amendment. It's never happened before uh, since the birth of our republic. We've never once done a, a constitutional convention of the states. Every amendment to our constitution has been passed by a two-thirds majority of both houses of Congress. And to assume that a two-thirds majority of both houses of Congress would get together uh, for the sole purpose of limiting their own power through term limits, that's not going to happen. So when people propose term limits, it's almost universally connected with an Article 5 convention. So I do encourage you to go check that out. But to make a long story short, it would be quite the process, right? You need 34 states to suggest or, or I guess to start an Article 5 convention, and then you need 38 states to ratify any kind of an amendment. So this is something, I, I bring this up just to show the scope of what we're talking about, right? Term limits would be a massive, massive uphill battle. To achieve them, it would be an uphill battle. And to many people, you know, as I said, these these old folks that have been there for forever, the corrupt people who... <clears throat> They sit in Washington, D.C. for like 25 years. Those people need to go. And so a lot of folks have have kind of branded term limits as this easy solution, or maybe not an easy solution. It would be one very difficult to obtain, but this, you know, this this square peg in a square hole solution. Like like if we could just if we could just get term limits, everything would be okay. And so real quick, before we go anywhere, uh, before I start to, you know, maybe show the opposite side of the argument, I do want to real quick kind of pitch the argument. I know I kind of already did, but I want to sort of pitch the argument that I would make in favor of term limits. For example, the people who have been there for far too long, and we just continue to have these incumbents, right? There is tremendous, tremendous political power. If you're an incumbent, right, your district has already voted for you, you're, you're established, and people sometimes don't like change, right? There's this certain level of uncertainty whenever you replace a sitting senator or a sitting member of Congress. So once someone is elected to Congress, that's their hardest election for the most part that they'll ever have because now they're, they're established. Now that they're there... It's so very difficult to get rid of them. You can see this whatever state you live in. Uh, just look at a handful of your state reps or even your state senators. I promise you a lot of them have been there for a really long time. And once they're there for that long, inside of the political world, there's this universally understood principle that you just don't run against an incumbent. You can't. It, it is just so unbelievably hard to unseat someone who is currently in office. So they have this tremendous, tremendous amount of power once they've been there, and it only grows the longer that they're there. So if we had term limits, say we put it at 12 years, say we put it at eight years, who knows, whatever it might be, say it's eight years, because that's what a lot of state legislatures do. So say we do eight years, eight years in the House, eight years in the Senate. That, that's your maximum. You can only be in D.C. if you're in both houses, you max out. You could only be there for a total of 16 years, right? That's still a long time, 16 years, but at the end of that, you get kicked out. Well, if we would have done that years ago, Nancy Pelosi would be gone, Chuck Schumer would be gone, Mitch McConnell would be gone. A lot of those people that we really don't like, well, they would be gone. And, and, and objectively, I think we can all say that would be kind of nice, Right to have those people get the boot, it would be kind of nice, and it might help to to solve a little bit of the problem of some of the corruption. It might help to kind of run those people out, so on and so forth. So I do get the argument 
behind term limits because it's so politically difficult to get those people out of office at a certain point in time, right? When they've been there for so long, it's like it's practically a lifetime appointment at a certain point in time because it's just so unbelievably hard to unseat them. That a lot of them they won't they won't live to see the consequences of the same votes that they're making. There's so many issues, and I do understand why people turn to term limits. I understand why people think that it is a square peg in a square hole. It's the solution that we've been looking for. But with that established, right, we're not going to give one side of this argument. I'm going to pitch to you the other side. And some people may really be like, dude, Victor, what are you talking about? You're going to pitch to me an argument against what you just said? I mean, that sounded pretty nice. Term limits, the idea of term limits sounds pretty doggone good. And listen, like I said, I do kind of agree with you on certain uh, aspects, but we need to be educated on whatever it is we're going to do. See, I'm a believer that a a solution needs to actually work, right? We shouldn't just, you know, propose symbolic solutions. We shouldn't turn to some sort of a quote-unquote solution just because we want something, right? When you when you grasp for straws, well, at the end of the day, you're only getting straws, right? I want something that will work. I, I want a real solution. And if these people in Congress are terrible, and, and, and we know that many of them are, we need a real solution, right? We need something that is actually going to solve the problem. So it's worth knowing both sides of the argument. And trust me, there is very much so an argument against term limits. So let's get into that real quick. Our government is a mirror. I've said this many, many, many times. I'll continue to say it many more. It's an inconvenient and uncomfortable truth that many people in America are, they, they have a hard time accepting it. They're not very willing to accept. See, it's it's very easy to point the finger at someone else. It's very easy to blame all of our country's troubles on some sort of an elected official or, or to blame it on the fact that they've been there for too long. But we have to understand at the end of the day, our government is a mirror, right? If the the government that we have is the government that we deserve, and listen, I'm not talking about you as an individual. I'm not talking about me as an individual. I'm talking about the people of the United States collectively. Whoever it is that we continue to elect, that is a mirror of us. Whatever, Whatever the standard that we're willing to accept is will show itself in our Congress. See, our founding fathers, when they wrote the Constitution, They believed that the best of the best would rise to the top. They assumed in a constitutional republic with free and fair elections and so on and so forth that we would have the best people who, you know, because at their time they were the best people. You had George Washington, you had, you know, Benjamin Franklin, you had Jefferson, you had all of these brilliant thinkers and successful individuals. They were the founding fathers. The, the, The cream rose to the top, right? The very best of the best were the ones that held office. But the reason that the very best of the best held office was because the electorate was smart. The electorate was engaged. The electorate was eternally vigilant at that time. See, we all know that the price of of liberty is eternal vigilance. If the electorate is not paying attention, then there is nothing. There is nothing whatsoever. There is no solution. There is no anything that will ever preserve the freedom of the electorate. If we, the voters, collectively, not as individuals, but collectively, if we, the voters, if we, the people of the United States, don't pay enough attention, then there is no solution. And that's what I worry about when it comes to term limits. Because some people are are kind of short-sighted whenever it comes to this topic. They hear one side of the argument. They say that that sounds really, really good. 
and then they just decide that that's what we need to do. They never think more of it. They never really think into it. And, you know, I give the examples on purpose when I make the argument for term limits. I give examples of people like Mitch McConnell, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, these dinosaurs that have been in Congress for years and years and years. But what we sometimes don't think about is that if we're going to do term limits and and throw them out, then we're also going to have to throw out good people. For example, Rand Paul, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, whoever your favorite senators are, whoever your favorite, uh, you know, House members are, they're also going to get termed out. They're going to get thrown out of Congress and get this, not because they did a bad job, not because they passed bad laws, not because they did anything wrong whatsoever, but because we said so. We said, well, you just been there too long. We just, you, you, you just been there too long. So we're going to kick you out. And it's kind of a throwing the baby out with the bathwater sort of a situation. If you're going to say, well, Nancy's been there for too long, and we're not paying close enough attention. We're, the electorate doesn't care enough to get rid of Nancy. So we're going we're gonna to make a bargain here. We're going to make a deal. In order to get rid of Nancy Pelosi, we're also going to get rid of Rand Paul. Whoa, hang on. I'm not taking that trade, right? That's where I start to get really concerned. I say, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm not going to get rid of Rand Paul just because I want to get rid of Nancy Pelosi. That's not a fair trade at all. I would keep Rand Paul. I would I would much rather have my Rand Pauls, my Josh Hawleys, my Ted Cruz's, whomever it is that you really like. I would much rather have them and allow them to continue doing a good job until they don't. Right. If 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 Rand Paul becomes 85 years old and I start to share my my criticisms of him start to mirror my criticisms of Mitch McConnell today. Right. When that day comes, that's when we get rid of him. But we vote him out of office. We don't just arbitrarily establish some sort of a rule that says everyone has to get kicked out at some certain arbitrary time. It should be the role, the job, the duty of the electorate to say you're doing a good job. So you get to stay. And once you start doing a bad job, I'm going to kick you out. But that requires we the people as a collective to be paying a lot of attention. Right. See, this is why I think it's somewhat of a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. I think that the idea of term limits comes with noble intentions. I, I really do. I think that it comes with noble intentions. I think people mean well when they propose term limits, but they don't always think it through. They don't always they don't always think through the consequences, the fact that you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, that you're going to start making some really, really terrible trades, like getting rid of Nancy Pelosi, but you also have to get rid of Ted Cruz, or you also have to get rid of this guy. That becomes a tremendous problem. And listen, it doesn't stop there, right? The, the, the founding fathers, they didn't, they did not put term limits anywhere in the Constitution. They didn't, in fact, put term limits on the president, right? A lot of people don't realize this, but the president of the United States was not limited to two terms until many, many, many years later. Now, everyone followed precedent set up by George Washington, but George Washington could have continued to rerun for office. He could have continued to run for election over and over and over, But he, of his own accord, because he was a tremendously good and honorable man, he decided not to run again. And every president since then decided to follow his lead with the exception of FDR. Everyone continued to only serve two terms, and then they would step down. They would resign. That was just the standard. That was the status quo. You didn't actually have to resign. They also didn't put term limits on Congress. And you have to ask yourself why, right? Why these tremendously brilliant men who established the greatest document, politically speaking, that the world has ever seen, why didn't they feel the need 
to put in term limits because they understood what I said a few minutes ago, that government is a mirror. It is a reflection of the people. And if we, if we the people aren't paying close enough attention to who we're electing, then there is no cure for that. There is no solution for that. There's only band-aids on bullet holes because, listen, if we put in term limits and we get rid of Nancy Pelosi, listen, let let me just seriously uh, ask you a very straightforward question here. Do you think that the district that is electing Nancy Pelosi, do you think that they would elect someone smarter than Nancy Pelosi, right? If she is removed from office, the same exact people who have been so dumb that they continue to elect Nancy Pelosi for 15, 20 years, do you think that just because she is no longer on the ballot, they're going to replace her with someone who's intelligent? No, of course not, because it's the same electorate, right? The actual cause has stayed the same. The cause of the problem, the the root cause of the problem is the electorate. It's not the elected official because the elected official is a mirror, right? So whoever it is that replaces Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell, they're going to be very similar, right? Because the same people are electing them. And if, if Nancy Pelosi can convince them, then trust me, I'm telling you, the person who replaces her will be just as bad. The founding fathers understood this. They knew that it would be a band-aid on a bullet hole. They knew that the duty of the people was to be eternally vigilant. They were very clear about that, right? It's such a, it's such a, a, a heavily repeated saying that it's become almost cliche in American politics, but the truth is government is a mirror and the, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. If we're not paying attention, there is no solution, but it doesn't stop there, right? My argument against term limits does not stop there. I would also tell you that whenever you term people out, you see this uh, at the state level all the time, all the time, all the time. You can look to your own state. I'm sure you have term limits in your own state legislature. When you, when you term people out, <clears throat> you strengthen a group that is often overlooked, and nobody talks about this, and it surprises me, but you strengthen the lobbyists. There is no term limit on lobbyists. They live and breathe in Washington, D.C. They live and breathe in your state capitol. They stay there like dirty little leeches, and there is no term limit on them. So whenever somebody is is in your legislature, say they've been a state representative for you for eight years, they know how the system works. They know who the lobbyists are. They know how they play. They know their dirty games. They know what they do. Now, they may have been compromised by them. I'll give you that, but at least they understand it, right? They're not a wide-eyed freshman. They know. They're savvy to the ways of these dirty lobbyists. Well, now you term him out. You term out your state rep who's been there for eight years. He's been a fairly good state rep. He knows how the system works. He knows how all the political stuff goes, and he knows who to look out for. He recognizes the lobbyists when he sees them. Now, you replace him with a well-intentioned young man of similar political you know, ideology, but now you've got this wide-eyed freshman member of your state house of representatives. He shows up. He doesn't know how the heck this place works. Very confusing, very bewildering. He's, he's stepped into the house of cards, right? He's walking into this, this trap that's laid before him by these savvy lobbyists who have been there for 35, 40 years. And he's a wide-eyed freshman. He doesn't know what the heck is going on. He's suddenly, you know, people are laughing at every joke he tells. He's getting steak dinners. He's having all of these friends. He's the most interesting man that the world has ever seen. And he doesn't see through it because he's brand new. 
He hasn't had the time to cut through. So whenever somebody who's randomly his best friend, somebody who thinks he's the most interesting man in the world, when they come to him and they say, hey, by the way, I would really love it, you know, if you would support this piece of legislation. And he says, man, well, you know, you've been a good friend to me. You're, you're a good guy. You, you buy me steak dinners. You laugh at all my jokes. Of course, sure, I'll, I'll support that bill for you. And he doesn't even realize he's been swindled, right? When you, when you term out the good experienced people, assuming they're good, right? When you term out the good experienced people, you replace them with well-intentioned young people who have wide eyes. They don't understand how this whole thing works. And I I know they will eventually figure it out, but you give those lobbyists a good two, three years of, of tremendous power, right? Tremendous influence that they didn't have over the last guy. So term limits, not only are they really a band-aid on a bullet hole, but I can see a real avenue for problems because you can see this happen at every state legislature. I'm telling you, it's perfect case study after case study after case study at the state level. You see these lobbyists gain power. When the freshman class comes to get sworn in at your state capitol, go and watch, Go and watch this ravenous pack of degenerate vultures that follow them around and laugh at every joke they tell. I'm telling you, that is a real unintended consequence. It's a real, it's a side effect of these term limits. So listen, I know I just gave a pretty um, impassioned uh, criticism of term limits, but the reason that I did that is because, listen, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't support them. I want to be super clear with this. I'm not telling you that term limits are the worst thing ever. I'm not telling you that they're bad, and I'm certainly not telling you that you shouldn't support them, but I think if we're going to propose solutions, if we're going to propose an idea, we have to think about all aspects of it, right? We can't only think about the good. We have to also consider the potential for bad. We have to ask ourselves, is this proposed solution really a solution? Is this actually going to fix the problem, or is this more of a Band-Aid on a bullet hole? And in the case of term limits, personally, I do believe that it is more of a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. The Founding Fathers didn't feel the need to put it in our Constitution because government is a mirror. If, if we the people are too stupid to unelect idiots, then folks, we deserve that. We, we deserve to have idiots governing over us because, well, folks, I'll say it one more time, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance, and if we're not going to be vigilant, if we're going to push the push the responsibility once again, we're going to push it off to something or someone else. If we're going to point the finger to everyone else, we're going to point the finger to government, we're going to point the finger to our elected officials, then we're pointing it in the wrong direction. At the end of the day, the finger, the finger should be pointing right at us. And us, again, not being you and I as individuals, but us being the American people. We deserve whatever government that we get. And I worry, you know, term limits at the end of the day, the reason I'm not super vehemently against them is because I don't think it would be the end of the world, right? You won't, I won't be out here with, uh, with a protesting picket fence sign and saying, no, we, we, we don't need term limits. I'm not going to be that guy. I don't care that much about it. I don't think it's going to destroy the country. I mean, we have term limits on the president and it wasn't the end of the world. But my main concern is a Band-Aid on a bullet hole solution where we're going to do all of this work. We're going to go through an Article 5 convention of the states. We're going to amend the Constitution. We're going to put forward term limits, and then we're going to sit back and we're going to rest on our laurels and think we did it. We fixed it. The country is now a better place, but we're not going to actually change anything within the electorate. We're going to push the we're going to push the buck. We're going to push the responsibility off once again, and then we're going to be shocked in 20 years when nothing has changed. When we're still governed by absolute freaking morons. When idiots roam the halls of of Congress in Washington D.C. and we're going to scratch our heads and we're going to say, "Why didn't that work? 
But why didn't the solution that we all thought was a solution, why, why didn't that work? And unfortunately, the answer would be because nobody dared to question it. Nobody dared to look at both sides of the coin. Nobody thought to consider the, the fact that maybe, just maybe, this isn't the solution that I've been told it is. Maybe, just maybe, this is more of a Band-Aid on a bullet hole sort of a thing. So listen, again, well, I, I, I know that I've, I've probably seemed fairly one-sided when it comes to this, but that's because I like our Constitution the way it is. I understand our founding fathers, or at least I like to think I do. I understand them pretty well. And they didn't put in term limits. And they didn't put in term limits for a darn good reason. And if we're going to fight tooth and nail, if we're going to have to bite down on our mouthpiece and fight like hell to, to achieve something, then I want that something to be worthwhile. I, I want that something to work. And in order to achieve term limits, we would have to literally do a constitutional convention. We would have to do something that has never in the history of the United States happened, a convention of the states. That would be such a tremendous, massive uphill battle in order to achieve, right? It would be a ridiculous uphill battle. It would take so much of our effort, so much of our energy, and then we would finally, assuming we achieve it, assuming we can finally get term limits, we would do it, and then we would, we would go home... We'd ride off into the sunset, we'd sit down on our couches, and we'd realize, crap, all of that for what? The electorate is still the same. The people who are electing these morons are still, unfortunately, morons. We would be much better off, in my opinion, spending all of that energy, that time, that hard work on educating the electorate, on teaching the Constitution, on teaching civics again, on paying attention to who's being elected, on going door-to-door and, and, and campaigning for good candidates and raising money for good candidates so that they can unseat those dirty, greasy incumbents. That's a much better use of our time, at least in my opinion opinion. Listen, if you still support uh, you know, term limits by the end of this podcast, that's totally okay. I have no beef with you. You and I aren't going to, I'm not going to be fist fighting you in the street or something like that. I'm not going to be counter protesting you or anything like that. At the end of the day, that's your choice. And I respect that. That's totally fine. I understand why you may want it. But I'm just here to tell you both sides of the aisle. I'm here to tell you both sides of the coin. I appreciate you listening, folks. That's all I've got for you today on The Deep Dive. Be sure that you download the podcast, like the podcast, share it with a friend, subscribe if you're on uh, you know, Apple Podcasts or, or on Spotify. Be sure that you do that. It helps me out greatly. Share this with anyone that you know who you think, because this is a big deal, right? This topic is a big deal. Share this podcast with anyone that you know who needs to hear this, who needs to think this through, and maybe you don't want to have to sit here and explain the whole thing to them yourself. Just send them a link to this podcast. I think they would greatly benefit from it. Anyways, folks, until next time, keep me in your prayers. Keep your country in your prayers. God bless.